morning, everyone. Uh, great to see you all. And um, Karibu Tena, if you're joining us for the first time or just uh, recently started coming or joining us online. Um, we are starting uh, the first, uh, 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 this morning is the first sermon in a series uh, that will be running for the next four weeks. Uh, that's entitled, Let's Talk About Mental Health. And as the title gives away, we want to engage in a conversation, right? We, we've got Gen, what is it, Gen Z, millennials, like we want to converse, we just don't want to be told stuff. Uh, and we want to talk about mental health uh, from a general perspective, but mainly from a biblical one, uh, so that we may apply biblical truths to grow in well-being. And uh, we also want to better understand ourselves and understand those we serve in, in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in the estates, uh, in our city, in our workplaces, in our schools, who may be struggling with mental health. Because the unfortunate reality is that more people are struggling with mental health, both globally and locally, as well as within our families and within the church community, then we realize uh, this past Monday was uh, World Mental Health Day, uh, in case you missed it. And there was an article, uh, uh, an opinion uh, uh, article that was written by the president of Kenya's Psychiatric Association by the name of uh, Chitai Murabula. And uh, he was, uh, it was kind of directed to President Ruto saying, let's do more about mental health. And one of the things that he said is that nearly half of all Kenyans experience a mental health issue in their lifetime. You might be thinking, hey, at least I've missed that bullet. I'm not Kenyan. Well, I remember from the last uh, mental health um, sermon that we did, we had a stat that said at least one in two Americans will experience mental health issues in their lifetime. And um, one of the uh, people from WHO said that it's, it's almost unthinkable. It's, it's hard to imagine that there's a family in which there's no one who's experienced mental health issues. Another report from last year from the Ministry of Health said that one out of every four people who show up at hospital, that's outpatients, they're not getting admitted, have mental health issues. And two out of every five who are admitted in the hospitals have mental health issues. So this, this issue is bigger than we care to admit. So we thought it would be great to do things a bit differently this morning. And we're going to start with an icebreaker. Um, and so uh, that's what you have in your hands. Now, just to disclaimer, this is not a clinical diagnosis. Uh, we've put the questions together from clinical sources, but what it's meant to do is just to get us thinking about our state of mental health. So you should have this in your hand, and if you're joining us online, you should be able to download it uh, from our website. And uh, please, could we just turn to that now? Um, and I'll just lead us through it. It should take just five minutes. And we want you just to review kind of the past two months uh, or just your recent memory of work, school, social situations, family life, recreation, and just reflect on where you're at in response 
to the questions. This is not an exam. We're not looking for the correct answer. So please answer as honestly as possible. And then you can use the scale. So if your response is, you haven't felt that, not at all, that's one. Occasionally two, sometimes three, frequently four, all the time, five. Is that all right? Are we all together? Are we ready? Okay. So the first question, little interest or pleasure in doing things. Please put your answer. And then becoming easily annoyed or irritable. Husbands and wives, maybe exchange at this point and score one another. Just kidding. Score yourself. Trouble falling or staying asleep or sleeping too much. Listen, if you have a newborn baby, uh, you can kind of uh, wait that one and see. Feel tired or have little energy. Again, if you have a newborn baby, not mentioning any names. Poor appetite or overeating. Feeling bad about yourself or, or that you have failed in some ways or have let yourself or your family down. Trouble concentrating on things whether it's reading a book or your work or doing your homework or watching TV or whatever it is that you watch. Sometimes if you're honest, you need some food, shopping, devices, drugs, alcohol, medication to cope with your situation. I know you might have said to your husband, you know what, chocolate would help me cope. But uh, so score yourself honestly there. Nine, you forget appointments or deadlines or activities. <coughs> and don't feel very concerned about it. Ten, you feel you're not accomplishing anything worthwhile in your work or personal life. And ineffective in making any changes. If you're interested in um, different other types of screening tools, you can see the website there. So this kind of combines different issues. So... It's not exactly a, a diagnostic tool, but just something to get us thinking. So if you've got your scores, please can you put the total? If you scored between 10 and 15, please could you bring your paper for verification and auditing? <laughs> and then after that, I think we need you to preach the rest of the sermon. If you scored between 15 and 25, it's like... Welcome to real life, right? If you scored over 25 men, at this point you need to stop thinking about Manchester City versus Liverpool and, and pay attention because this sermon and this series is, is right for you. And if you scored above 40 or 50, then I think you need to talk to somebody today. Now, the title of my sermon and how we want to start the series this morning is by understanding ourselves. Um, we need to understand why are we prone to these mental health struggles? What is it about our makeup? And by understanding ourselves, hopefully we can begin to understand the ways that God has stepped in to the human story to help us overcome these struggles. And if you're anything like me, uh, you might perhaps sometimes feel like this guy. Why always me? I remember we went to the coast um, a few weeks ago with my mom. 
And uh, it was the first time because we come from a landlocked country. So it was a, a, a big thing. And while we were there, we were walking along, you know, having a nice holiday. And I dropped my car keys in, on the kind of the, the edge, uh, the corals while we're looking at stuff. And then we only realized that I dropped my car keys when now the tide was coming in. So I, I didn't have my shoes on. I ran, first of all, to make sure the car was still where we parked it. And then I ran back to try and retrace my steps. And my feet were getting cut. And I couldn't find the keys. And at this moment, I'm thinking, why always me? Why me? And maybe you might have situations in your life. Maybe it's in your parenting, in, in school, in, in your workplace, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your finances. And you kind of feel like, why always me? Or maybe it's, it's mental health struggles. Think, oh man, it's, it's anxiety again. There I'm back, I'm, I'm feeling low. I'm fearful, I'm, I've got this addiction. Why always me? But if the stats are to be believed, then at least well, half of us listening to me right now would fall into that category that either you've already had a mental health struggle or you're going through it right now or you will face it in the future. It's like, why always me? And so this morning, I'm hoping that if we're able to better understand ourselves, then we'll be able to get some tools, some grounding, some foundations from which we can not only survive, but thrive as we face what life throws at us. So if you have your Bibles, please would you turn to Genesis 1. I know no better reference to understanding ourselves than the story of how God created us. And so we'll be looking at that story. We're going to move quite quickly because I want to cover a lot of ground from creation to what's commonly called the fall, where we see the relationship of, of man or humanity and God fractured and pick out some lessons from that. But before we do that, just let me pray. Lord Jesus, it, it blows my mind that uh, you are both the lion, the one who rules and reigns with power, but also the one who became the lamb in weakness to die for us. It's, it's an incredible weighty thing for us to remember your death and eat the, that bread or the little wafer symbolizing your broken body, knowing that your body was truly brutalized, whipped and hung on that cross in that shameful, excruciating death that when we drink of this juice, it's literally your blood was poured out. The spear was put in your side. 
What an incredible servant you were to us. What an incredible servant you, you still are because you look for us, you rescue us, and you save us, you build us up. What an incredible king. And so, Lord, I just want to invite you <clears throat> to speak into our hearts, to build us up, to rescue us from wherever we are, even as you are that great Savior King. Would you give wisdom? <clears throat> Would you speak right into individuals' lives? And you... Would you do the work that only you can do by your Holy Spirit? Amen. <clears throat> now, I'd love for us just to be <clears throat> on the same page concerning what I mean by mental health. So I just want to start by reading um, this definition. And I, I thought the one that comes from the World Health Organization is a good one for us to, to reference. And this is what it says, that mental health <clears throat> is a state of well-being in which an individual can realize his or her own potential. So you can become everything that God has intended for you. And you can cope with the normal stresses of life and work productively and finally make a contribution to the community. So this is what we're talking about when we're talking about mental health. Notice that they don't talk about mental well-being. And this will come out why that is so as we look at um, how we are as humans. So if you have your Bible, we're in Genesis 1. We'll be reading from verse 26 to 29. And we jump into the story of creation. And whereas uh, God has been creating things uh, by speaking them into existence, we, we get into this council of this uh, majestic plural, God discussing within and of himself the creation of man. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And this means that man was created to represent God, to stand in God's stead uh, on earth. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So both men and women created in God's image. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Now, just kind of to put this verse in, in, in context of our contemporary culture, and our view of, of mental health and kind of psychology, humanity is trying to understand itself by itself. 
We've kind of said we'll put God in, in this box, in this corner, whether we've got an evolutionary uh, a background and think kind of things just appeared. And so that's how we treat the things of mental health. And while it's helpful to have kind of like uh, psychological theories, whether it's uh, Jung or Freud or whatever, and, and it helps us to analyze, it doesn't give us the full picture. One of the things uh, about me is that... Um, and which brings conflict with my wife because we're quite different in that. Whenever we, we buy something that comes with a manual, I like to read the manual first, right? And this is not because, okay, I'm not great with my hands. Okay, one. So I, I need to know what the manual is saying. Now, my wife loves winging it. And so she, we buy this gadget. She just wants to turn it on. And I'm like, what if, you know, it blows up? Some gadgets say you need to charge it first and then there's the warranty and all of that. Now, I'm not saying who's right or who's wrong. Unfortunately, my wife is not here to give her own side of the story. So you guys can just assume my way is obviously the, the sanest way. But you kind of see this with humanity that we, we, we just want to wing it. We, we want to understand ourselves by ourselves, by our own theories, by, by studying ourselves. Now, while the Bible is not a manual about humanity, yet within its stories, we've got great wisdom of how we have been made, how we are to function, and actually how things have gone wrong in our lives. And what we see with the human story is that it doesn't start with us. It doesn't start with you. It doesn't start with the gene genealogy, but it starts with God speaking within himself, whether it's just a way of, of respect or it's father, son, and spirit. And saying, now we want to make man in our own image. And so if we want to understand ourselves, we need to start by understanding the creator's plan for us. Now, we're going to cover a lot of ground, so I'm going to just move fast. And I want to pick out three things that we see in that passage that we can only get from the Creator and we can't get from ourselves. The first is our identity. God, we're created in God's image and likeness. And so we need to come back to God to answer the question, who am I? The second thing is purpose. We see that humanity was not created and released to just say, hey, go and figure it out. Go, just here's the earth, do whatever you like, discover what you're there for. But actually, God blesses them and, and commissions them. And so if you want to discover why am I here, you need to come back to the Creator. The third thing is security. We see this as, as God, not, he creates humanity as the crowning creation of what he has done. He's already prepared the earth. It's, it's prepared almost ideally for human occupancy. Not only has he prepared the, the earth, he, he gives them food. He says, I'm, I'm giving you all this food. And then he blesses them and says, you're going to multiply. 
The first man and, and woman are not kind of wondering about their future. Will, will, will we survive? Will we have kids? Will we have grandkids? What's, what's going to happen? They are secure. And so, if you want to answer the question, how can I be secure? You need to come back to the Creator. And many times the source of mental health struggles is when we put identity, purpose, and security in the wrong thing. And if we're to understand ourselves, we need to understand that our identity, our purpose, and our security can only be found in the one who has made us. Now, Genesis then zooms in to the creation of man, and I just want to kind of get into that in Genesis chapter 2. And as we look at the story, I want us to look at what it means to be human, and also for us to get a better understanding of how our minds function and are interrelated both within ourselves and with the environment around us. And this will give us a better understanding of what it means to have well-being. Does that make sense? All right, let's, let's get into Genesis 2 verse 7. Then it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So the first thing that we see is that we've got physical bodies, right? That's, that's kind of obvious, otherwise you wouldn't be sitting right in front of me. But one of the things is that our mind is not kind of this separate and it's just uh, unrelated to our physical bodies. Because what, what happens to our physical bodies affects our minds and what happens with our minds affects our physical bodies. That's why if you're not getting enough sleep, it, it, it affects your mental health. Or if you're not eating the right kind of diet or you're not getting uh, enough exercise or many other physical factors and sometimes actually being physically sick can lead to mental health issues. And on the other hand, mental health issues can lead to being physically sick. I remember when I was having these chronic stomach uh, problems and I would go to the doctor and then he would ask me, are you stressed? I was living in Zimbabwe. It was hyperinflation. I was running a farm. I wanted to answer, of course I'm stressed. I'm, I'm, who can't be stressed in this environment? But this is just to illustrate the point that our minds are connected to our physical body. The second thing that we see is that not only are we physical, but we're also spiritual. And again, our minds are connected to that. And you see it in this verse. Unfortunately, Michelle couldn't make it, but I was going to ask her to come and help me illustrate it. Because one commentator talks about it, that this is so intimate. It's like God is giving the kiss of life when it speaks of him breathing into the nostrils of the man. And what it means that we're spiritual is that we've got this capacity of relating with God, of, of uh, worshipping Him as we were doing this morning, of serving Him with our lives. And you might say, hey, hey, no, that's because we're in church. Actually, when you look at the world and, and you look at all the global religions and even those who are irreligious, you can see that there's this search, this, this longing, this desire to be in touch, to be connected with something outside of ourselves. As Augustine put it in his confessions, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. 
Because God created us spiritual with this intimate kiss. We are longing to know that intimacy. We'll jump to Genesis 2 verse 16 and 7. And it says that the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, what this shows us about us is that we can make decisions. So you might say we're volitional, but what I want to bring out is that actually we are moral creatures. And again, this affects the mind, right? Uh, and you, you might not easily connect it because we're living in a world of what we might call moral relativism, right? That your right is your right. My right is my right. You can't tell me what's right or wrong. We, we, we decide. But actually, that's not true. Because let's say, God forbid, one of us here became a serial murderer and was targeting people in the church. Okay, this, guys, this is just... Uh, <laughs> imagine it's a game. We used to play a game like that. I've, I forgot what it's called, but don't worry. This is not true. We vet everybody. Right? And then we caught them. The first thing that we'll do is take them for a psychiatric evaluation. Why is that? Why, why, why are you being taken for a psychiatric evaluation? Because we're saying, hey, if you, if you don't know that it's wrong to kill somebody else, there must be something wrong with your mind. So we are moral beings. And actually, our morality is connected to our minds. And so you might think, hey, if I go against my conscience, if, if I design my own morality and, and choose what I want to do, I'll be fine. But actually, it's, it's connected to intrinsically who you are and your well-being. You can't escape from it. And then we'll jump to Genesis 2, verse 18. But are you kind of tracking? So far, I've said we're physical, we're spiritual, we're moral. And I've just got two more points. We'll, we'll get them in these next verses. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Notice that he, he didn't say it is not good that man should be single. No, no, no. He's not talking about being single or being married. He says it's, it's not good for man to be alone, to be isolated, to be outside of human connectedness. Then he says, I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now, of course, this has got tones for laying the groundwork for marriage. And then the man said this. Now, we know the story that God brought the animals, the man named them, and it says there was no helper fit for him. And then finally God put him to sleep. And then he took a rib and he fashioned or shaped a woman out of it. And then when the woman was brought to the man, I want us to see the gravity of what happens here. These are the first recorded words of humanity. And it comes as a poem or a song. And he says, this at last. I mean, maybe he'd, he'd looked at the elephant. He's, he's looked at the giraffe. He's seen the rhino. And then he's like, finally, you figured me out at last. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Now, husbands, if you struggle to be romantic, as I don't, so I'll just give you guys the advice. And if poetry is difficult, just 
Get it straight from the Bible. Like, this is pure, undefiled poetry. You are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And ladies, please respond. Our egos are so, so sensitive. Like, wow, that's incredible. Where did you get it? And he says, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is the foundational text on marriage. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So the last two things about us and in our minds that I just want to pick out is that the fourth thing is we're social, relational. It's, it's not good for a man to be alone. It's not good for a woman to be alone. Not necessarily about being single, but being unconnected to community. Notice it doesn't say it's not good for an extrovert to be alone. Like, yeah, I'm an introvert. It's good for me to be alone. Whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, you need to be connected in naked, unashamed community. And when I say naked, I'm talking about authentic relationships. The fifth thing is that we're emotional beings. The first words, as I've mentioned, was a poem expressing the joy. And then when it says he was unashamed, again, this is speaking of an emotional freedom. So what we see is that your well-being is not just about what you think, your mind, your brain. Actually, your well-being is about how you're doing physically how you're doing spiritually, how you're doing morally, how, <coughs> how you're doing socially or relationally, and how you're doing within your emotions. Now, the purpose this morning is not for me to get into the practical details of how we build kind of mental strength within those, but to understand ourselves. And this is the first step. Now, I want us to understand why we have mental health issues. Everything is perfect, right? At this point in the story, right? We're physical, we're spiritual, we're moral. We're... So where do mental health issues come from? So let's uh, get into the next part of the story. And I'm going to skip over a little bit of the detail that I think we're familiar with. As God had said to the men and uh, consequently the women, don't eat of this tree. A serpent came and said, actually eat of the tree and God was lying and they believed the serpent and then they ate of the tree and when they ate from the tree it says that their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked and they tried to patch up some fig leaves and then they hid themselves so this is where we're jumping into the story and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. This is the first time this word fear appears in the Bible. Because I was naked, and I hid myself. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Parents, you, you're familiar with this. When, when you ask your kids and you're expecting a yes or no answer, this is how they answer and this is how we generally answer. The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree 
and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, so he comes from the serpent to the woman and then back to the man. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then now as we get into what he says to the woman, I want us to notice the word pain. When you hear it, clap your hands. Is that all right? To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain. Okay, I didn't hear claps from Jonathan and, and that corner there. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. You, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree. Now he's not saying, husbands don't listen to your wives in general. What he's saying is, because you have listened contrary to what I have told you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles they shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you turn to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And if you're, ans if you're asking your question, okay, what happened between that perfection that was before, knowing that we are physical, spiritual, moral, and emotional, social beings, and we're naked and unashamed, two things, sin and suffering. And, and this is how they affect who we are. This is how they affect our well-being, everything about our mental health. Physically, we see the repetition of this word pain. And now this struggle to be fruitful. And even as he, as he speaks to the woman and said, in pain shall you bear children. This is, it's, it's not just about childbirth, but it's saying in the mandate that I gave you to be fruitful and to multiply, to subdue the world, to, to spread in all the earth. Whatever you're doing in that function, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be painful. Not only that, at the end he says, for you are taken out of the dust and to dust you will return. And so we find decay and death. And you might think, hey, now I'm a Christian, right? It overcomes the curse. But Paul says, outwardly, we are wasting away. I remember Bonisi, who's on sabbatical, he, he used to say, after the age of 25, it's downhill for your body from then. And I know we've got some people who go to the gym, kind of fitness, you're eating right. And essentially, you're climbing uphill, fighting against the wind. Physically, we experience pain. We struggle for our lives. I think, man, if I wasn't in Kenya, I wouldn't be struggling. No, no. Whether you're in Canada, whether you're in Sweden, whether you're in Zimbabwe, whether you're in Kenya, 
the struggle is real. Spiritually, we see this separation from God where before we saw this, this kiss of life, this intimacy. Now the man and the woman hide. They, they run away. They experience fear at the presence of God. Not only are they estranged in their relationship with God, we see the entrance of this oppression, this battle with evil, this, this, this ominous serpent who's entered. And even as God says, there's going to be a struggle. The, the seed of the woman will crush his head and he will grasp the heel. And so we are in this lifelong battle against unseen spiritual forces. And then moral, we, we see the degradation of morality where before there was a simple standard of this is right and this is wrong when you'd have expected the man and the woman to take moral responsibility yet they begin to redefine the morality and say, no, no, it wasn't my fault. Who put the tree in the garden in the first place? Where did that serpent come from? Answer that question before I answer whether I ate of that tree. Actually, it wasn't me. It was the woman that, by the way, you gave me. Did I say, uh, I, uh, you know, I was happy with the elephant, the rhino, and the buffalo. This woman idea wasn't mine. We've got moral relativity. We want to redefine our morality. And we ignore the voice of conscience, even though that voice is marred. I know. Who are you to tell me what to do? Why should you tell me to do what to do with my sexuality? It's my body. I'm not hurting anyone. Everybody in the office does it. It's not corruption. Everybody knows that's how the system works. It's not wrong. That's, that's how things work. Give Kitu Kudogo. I need to buy land. I need to pay dowry. Can't tell me what to do with the way I hustle. That's my hustle. Got moral relativity. But ironically, we're living in a world that still struggles with guilt. So we we devise ways of, of handling our guilt, of being in a community that tells us what we're doing. It's not wrong. Nobody's got the right to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. We're trying to suppress that guilt, but unfortunately, it, it comes in other ways. And we have this epidemic of mental health. Social relationships fractured where before there was authenticity. Now, we need to cover ourselves and show only those parts that we want people to know and to see. Suspicion. Where before it's like bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's like, no, you're a woman, I'm man. Right? Let's get that clear. And as God pronounces what's going to happen, he talks about this, the woman's desire to for her husband. And this is not just a, a, a sexual desire to say, I want to be with you. This is it's a desire to usurp, to take the position of the man. 
They might say, hey, how is that? And for the man where before he was serving, where, where, where he was celebrating, the woman, it says that now he, he rules over her as a tyrant. That's, that's a kind of Hebrew word that's used. He's dictatorial. And, and this is just not talking about marriage. It's talking about the fracture of human relationships as the most basic relationship is the marriage relationship. And so now we're friends. We can't trust each other. You, you can't trust the government. You, you can't trust your family. Relationships are broken. Finally, emotions. We see where before there was no fear, there was no shame, there was no guilt, yet fear, shame, and guilt enter. Not only that, not only do we have these new emotions, by the way, which are not a curse, but are an indicator that we're living in a fallen world. Not only do we have these negative emotions, now we chase after positive emotions and can have them rule over us rather than us ruling our emotions. And so if you want to understand yourself, you, you can't understand yourself outside of your relationship with this Creator. If you want to understand your mental health, you, you can't understand it without understanding how you are as a person, how your mind is connected to both what, what happens to you physically, what you do morally, your, your spiritual state, where, where you are socially, relationally, and, and what's happening emotionally. But not only do you need to understand that, you also need to understand that sin, suffering, pain have entered into the world. And why am I talking about this? Well, we need to remove the stigma that is associated with mental health. Because we kind of understand if I'm physically sick, we expect it, or we say that's, that's because our bodies are decaying. But when I'm mentally struggling, it's like, man, pull yourself together. What, what's going on? Or we, we isolate ourselves. We, we want to solve it by ourselves. Yet it's the natural result of the fall because our well-being well is something that is holistic to the whole being of humanity. Well, right now, Cephas, it sounds like you, you've given us the bad news. If you think about the stats that I gave that at least one in two of us will experience a mental health issue in our lifetime, then... Really, we need to come to grips with the bad news. It's a reality. But also when we know what we're facing, we can begin to find help and solutions. And even within the story that we read, there is a hint of hope. There is a hint of the solution. When you look at verse 14, Oh, verse 15, better, which says, I'll put enmity, or there'll be this conflict between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And this is speaking to the, sermon, uh, the serpent. What is sometimes known as the proto 
Evangelion or this, this first proclamation of the gospel, the good news that is in Christ, that there would come one born of the woman who would battle the serpent, who would battle what was against us, who would, who would battle our sin, who would battle our weakness. Not only would he battle our sin and our weakness, but he would suffer on our behalf. He, he would experience the bruise of the serpent. And that happened when God, who not only created us, but himself became one of us through the person of his son. Not only did he become one of us through the person of his son, the Bible says that he humbled himself just as we were celebrating this morning, taking the position of a servant. He came in a poor family. He, he lived under the colonial rule of the Romans. Isaiah, when he, when he looked forward, he saw him as the suffering servant. This man of sorrows. You think, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, my life has been a life of sorrows. Well, you can turn to the man of sorrows. Scripture says that he took on himself our infirmities and he carried our grief. You say, I've, I've got this grief. I've lost loved ones. He says that he carried our griefs. Not only did he experience this pain, the struggle, but ultimately, Scripture says that he was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions and the punishment that brings us peace, shalom, wholeness was put upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And friends, so the story of our mental health, of understanding ourselves, doesn't just end with us looking inward. It doesn't even start with us looking inward, but it starts and ends with us looking outward to the one who created us. But not only did he create it, but he came, experienced life with us and on our behalf and ultimately died and rose again. And so this morning, I, I want to encourage you. I believe there are so many categories that we can fall into. Why don't we just stand together as we close? I want to speak to those maybe you have gone through or currently going through mental health issues and I've met a number of people say, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to go to the church. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to God with this. I'm just going to look for some, some therapy. Now, listen, I'm not knocking down therapy. There is help within it. But actually, to fully understand yourself, to fully be known and accepted and loved and helped, you need more than just our knowledge of ourselves. You need more than just the best of what humanity can do for itself. You need to go to the one who created you, who died for you because of his love and whoever lives to intercede for you. And so this morning, I want to invite you if you fall in that category. With this final scripture in Zechariah that says, Therefore say to them, and this is what I'm saying to you this morning, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord, 
and I will return to you. I want to extend this invitation to come to Him and to experience the peace that He brings. And I want to speak to those, maybe you're in a category where you've fallen into despair. You've thought, hey, I've, I've tried this. I've prayed. I've read my Bible. I've, I've gone for therapy. I've done all these things. But there's this, I can't be helped. This is just how I am. And I want to say, actually, there's one who has overcome on your behalf. At the appointed time, at the appointed season, He will deliver. He will rescue. He will intervene. And not only is He waiting for that appointed time, right now in the valley, whatever it might be, the shadow of disappointment, the shadow of anxiety, the shadow of depression, the shadow of addiction, that He is walking with you and He is there to bring you comforts. And will you turn to him this morning? He says, the broken heart and the contrite spirit, I will not turn away. Think, I'm, I'm, I'm broken, I'm, I'm finished. You're exactly the raw material that God loves to work with. Then finally, I, I want to speak to those where maybe you've got a friend or someone close to you who has struggled with mental health issues and you've kind of felt out of your depth. Thought, man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not qualified. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm, how, how do I encourage? How do I respond? And I want to encourage you this morning that actually you're not the one who brings the solution. You look to the Creator. You look to the one who loves and died. And you look to Him. And through you, you see, He, he doesn't work in a bubble, in a vacuum. He works through His people. For He says that His eyes are going throughout the earth to look for those whose hearts are perfect before Him, that He might show Himself strong on their behalf. And He's saying, hey, the strength is not in you. The battle does not belong to you. The battle belongs to me. Will you stand and see the victory that I'll work? Will you trust in me and on behalf of this other person and see what mighty works the Lord will work? And so with those words, I just want to end by us singing together. And if you're in any of those categories or any other category, I want to invite you to come for prayer. We'll be there to pray with you and to stand with you whatever it is that you're facing. Amen.